This is CS Book Club, and we're starting Chapter 2 of Understanding Computation, the Meaning of Programs, and the first major section called Operational Semantics. I am Justin Campbell, a Ruby programmer. I'm Ashton Harris, a front-end developer. I'm Amy Unger, Ruby dev as well. And I'm Brian Cobb. I'm also a Ruby developer. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed reading uh, this part. Uh, it starts off with uh, Part 1, Programs and Machines, and there's like a page of describing what we're going to do in the next, I guess, four chapters. Uh, and it said, by the time we reach Part 2, we'll have seen the full spectrum of computational power. Yeah, I kind of felt like it was hard coming into this section without any knowledge of what a, you know, Computation 101 class would look like. Because if I were in that class and the syllabus would have, you know, for the first three weeks we're going to focus on programs and machines, that would make a lot of sense to me because, hey, it's a syllabus. Uh, but... Coming into it as a Ruby dev with no CS background, you know, it wasn't necessarily the first place I would have thought to start when thinking about what is computation. And yet, if you look at some of the, you know, introduction to computing or computation classes, like, it does make sense to start here. So it seems kind of like we're, we're mimicking that structure. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, it, it starts out very abstract to the point of what is a program, what is a computer, what what is a machine. Um, but I think you have to go over those high level, um, you know, kind of details just to jump into it and really understand what you're building. I like that it, it uh, made the distinction between like a machine, a language, and a program. And I guess I just kind of took that for granted, but it makes a lot of sense when I think about it. So basically, I guess we should jump right into um, the start of building this toy programming language that they start off for with their examples. Yeah, uh, operational semantics starts off with you're making a programming language called uh, Simple. Um, yeah, and, and I, I did all the coding exercises, and um, I was really kind of blown away about how how much I learned because because you start off like so small where you're just like this is a expression this is a machine and like all the like the small steps like made a lot of sense logically like you would need this next mm -hmm. uh, and then i was kind of like amazed by the end that like i had a full kind of programming language at the end of it it's kind of all the things you start to take for granted like not having to write every single detail when everything's so abstracted away when you're normally writing ruby or another language yeah and just like the uh, you know i guess we'll get into this later but like the amount of work that goes into like at the computer level of just like assigning a variable like how many things that actually takes to do but it's also like surprisingly sparse i mean i'm looking at the source file that i ended up with and i think it's like 200 lines which I find that kind of surprising, just that maybe it's a testament to how much Ruby gives you to kind of play with this sort of reasoning about the world, but um, like each each step that you take in these code examples is is like, it makes total sense. And it's just adding the one thing that you need for like first displaying a program and then doing like very basic representation of stuff. Yeah, I definitely felt the power of Ruby in doing the exercises. You think about the source code we wrote, and you compare that to uh, the source code for Ruby's add function, you know, and it's it's so much simpler, so much more understandable. There's a lot there that Ruby just gives you for free. 
And that's actually one of the warnings that the author seems to give a little later on in the chapter that, uh, it's actually like, he calls it a disadvantage that you're using a complicated language like Ruby to explain a simple language. Yeah, I felt like it was engaging, a little bit more engaging, uh, to be able to do so much quickly. But mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that warning. You know, it, it didn't feel like at the end we had implemented a, a language that would be, you know, efficient or, uh, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like there was a lot that was hidden from us, you know. Could you see yourself maybe using this technique, like embedded in a more complicated program to create, you know, Ruby is kind of known for being good at creating DSLs. What if you went the next step and created a tiny embedded language like this? And I kind of, I kind of want to do that now. Like, like, yeah. like Brian was saying, like I ended up with a source file that was like 200 lines and I had to, I found it hard to kind of jump between different parts of the file because it was so long and getting really dense. And I actually made it denser by like condensing things to a single line that I thought weren't important, such as like the 2S declarations. Uh, and then by the end, like I just found myself with this kind of, uh, at least to me, it was almost like a maze of, uh, what was going on with, like nesting things inside of things and uh especially towards the end when you start returning arrays to represent the um like the statement in the uh environment mm. i kind of want to like do all this again and do it in a ruby way or like how i would do it if i was writing an application and put all the individual things in different files and like write tests for each of them mm. uh and see if i could keep working on this you know for a while so I made the mistake when I first uh, started writing this of trying to do the whole thing in IRB, not realizing how long it was going to go on for. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and you make one quick mistake, and uh, you're not getting anywhere close to the result you would expect. So I quickly went straight into a text editor and started writing it out all there. Yeah, we talked about that like uh, in the middle of reading it. And I, I was surprised. Like I, I just assumed reading the code that I was going to make a file and run it. But then reading the chapter, it says to use IRB, and I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah, even typing out, like, so I kept all the source in a file and then would load up, load it in IRB. But even typing the examples, I found myself making a lot of mistakes. I can't imagine typing all of the code itself into IRB. Although the, the code in the book does, like, I mean, it does assume that you are, because it has, there's, like, this one part where it, like, deletes the machine class so you can recreate it undefines a constant yeah but i was gonna say justin actually you're so i i borrowed your a lot of your dot files a few weeks ago (laughs) uh and something you have in your irb rc uh makes it so that like if you if you type multiple lines of ruby it does the indentation correctly Mm -hmm. i don't know which part that is but if we have show notes you should point any listeners to that part of your IRBRC because I found that indispensable. Sure, I can, I can yeah. find it. Uh, I, I got kind of tired of typing and seeing .new everywhere, so I actually <laughs> wrote this uh, one-liner that looked for all the classes that had uh, a new method and then defined a method called, for instance, like add.new. Now I can just do add and then give it parentheses. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and it made it kind of seem a little bit like my own language, too, by doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It was kind of hard to mentally, uh, you know, kind of jump from feeling like, okay, I'm writing Ruby to, oh, right, this is actually 
my own language that, you know, if I could write a parser, and I know we will get to that later, if I wrote a parser that, you know, took some nice syntax that, you know, looks entirely different and builds up these trees, then that could be an entirely separate language. It's not just that I'm writing Ruby right now. Did you ever find yourself accidentally writing the bare Ruby form of the simple construct? Like, instead of boolean.new true, you would just write true. I did that so many times. I got myself kind of confused because I was switching between using uh, the variable class we had made, the variable struct, and actually using just a symbol with the variable name like during assignment. Right, right. And then I kind of got myself tripped up because I was using it one way in one place and another way in another place, and I had to debug that for a while. Yeah, by the time we got to variables, I was definitely having to remind my fingers a lot to be careful about what they type. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also actually ran into issues when I stopped using IRB, I think around the point where I got to variables with uh, uh, me not coming from Ruby. I wasn't aware of the difference between P and puts, and I was logging everything out via puts, and it uh, can, can't necessarily put out um, things that need to be inspected. Um, so I was throwing errors until Justin actually helped me figure that one out. Oh, yeah, we, we, we were stuck on that for a while. Uh yeah, I think it was like puts, you know, thing, comma, thing equals. And what it was actually doing was putsing the first thing and then comma putsing the second thing. And then the equal would only go to one of them instead of both of them. So instead of like getting an array um, deconstructed in two variables, you're getting an array just in the last variable. And I guess the first one was nil. Um, but yeah, that was like a thing going from IRB to the file that it wasn't printing out the result anymore. So put puts in the beginning of it and then it was broken. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so which yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say which uh, construct of a while did you like best? There's the kind of one that translates while into an if, and then there's a recursive definition of while. Are you talking about the uh, the small step implementation versus the big step? Yeah, yeah. Implementation? Sorry. So yeah, the small step versus the big step. Okay. I thought that was the most interesting change among the two was the implementation of while. Yeah, I felt like the small step was kind of more how I mentally think about while loops uh, in my head when I'm writing them. Uh, but the big step was definitely cool and nice to yeah. see. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm totally with you on that. Like, I think I translate a while into, like, basically, like, loop, and then if this, no, if this, no. Um, Can you explain the difference? Because I'm realizing I just kind of glanced over that code section, apparently. Mm. Yeah, sure. So in small step, when you go to implement while, I think that's when you end up needing to kind of re-architect the whole thing. Um, because you need to represent the concept of doing nothing. Is that correct? Or is that when you introduce a sign? I think do nothing have... was doing assignment. Okay. You also use it in the while because eventually you have to do nothing. Right. Right. So, like, the first step in the small step is to translate the condition of the while into a, an if condition. Uh, and then you just kind of propagate the environment along as, as the, with that condition. So, evaluate the body, the condition goes to the next step, the, the actual, like, value of the conditions, uh, of the condition will have changed because the environment changed, and then you just check the if again. Uh, so, like in the in the code that you type into IRB, I think you end up with three evaluations of the of the while loop. 
and it, and it ends up being like three if statements. In the big step, while loop is implemented recursively. So I guess I haven't looked at the instructions that get printed out, but it's like recursive evaluation of the body with like the original environment. So body.evaluate environment returns a new environment, which is then like fed back through the while loop. So it stays a while loop the entire time. Hmm. I, I would recommend implementing it to see. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things worth mentioning before we get too far into all of the details as well is um, one of the things about this simple program that we built um, was it, it kind of had two two dichotomies, the syntax and the semantics that we were kind of writing in tandem. Um, so the, the syntax obviously is the language and all the, you know, e everything that goes into the way you write it, whereas the semantics, when, when they're talking about small step and uh, big step, is almost would you call it, it's the documentation for what the program actually means. It's almost like a test case, if you will. Um. Like they gave an example in the beginning about syntax, I think. Um, I'm trying to find it. Oh, um, semantics is the, the connection between words and their meanings. Like the word dog is arrangement of shapes on a page or a sequence of vibrations in air caused by somebody's vocal cords, which are very different things from an actual dog, like the idea of dogs in general. So I guess, I guess what you're trying to say is like the... The words don't actually indicate like how it actually gets things done. Mm -hmm. Whereas the formal semantics, they say, is it's concerned with finding ways of nailing down the elusive meanings of a program and using them to discover or prove interesting things about the programming language. And that was the correctness area. Uh, that's uh, the meaning of meaning. Oh, okay. In the beginning. Yeah, and the formal mathematical description of the semantics is pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's very intense. Oh, that giant image? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, uh, mathematically speaking, it's something, but practically speaking, it's a bunch of weird symbols that don't say anything intelligible. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that really wants to, like, Understand decipher it. every little bit of it, but... Yeah. That'll take I, a couple weeks. I highly recommend the Wikipedia article to dissuade you of that notion. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, Noted. yeah, the, uh... You know, you can get probably through the first statement on the Wikipedia article pretty easily, and then, then you know, well, maybe I don't have enough determination to figure all this out. But uh, yeah, after that, it wasn't, it was not as valuable as the practical experience of writing it in Ruby. Well, then I'm kind of glad I just read E1 and went on to the next page. <laughs> <laughs> I just stared at it, wondering what the little sideways M is C with a line through it. The uh, C with the line through it? The squiggly line with an arrow at the end of it? No, but like in the middle okay. of the page, the smallest expression on the right, there's if X something dom something. Oh, yeah, so if X is a member of the set. A member? I think so. The, I yeah, think... that's correct. Okay. Hey, I remember something from college. <laughs> <laughs> Rejoice. <laughs> yeah. They didn't teach that in digital art school. <laughs> um, one thing that I found interesting was it makes sense doing it, but I'd never thought about it before, is we made the reducible um, predicates, I guess it would be called, of saying like a, a number is not reducible, but an add or a multiply is reducible. Mm. And that way the machine could check what needs to be done next by, you know, looking left or right and finding out what, what, what is reducible and, and making that. And if neither reducible, then reduce itself. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, and 
I mean, that's kind of the transformation that this, that the big step semantics brings is that it forces you to think about, I mean, it, it's called evaluation in big step semantics, but, and I mean, you could basically just treat it as reduce, but have force everything to implement a reduce method. Even, uh, like a value? Even things like number. And then their reduce method just returns self. But then wouldn't they just keep reducing? Well, I think the point is that you call, the machine calls reduce once on the entire program. Uh, right. And then it cascades down the tree. I see. Yeah, I wasn't quite clear about the implications of small step over big step. Uh, they're both really interesting to look at, but as for what each is good at and why, uh, I got a little bit confused. I guess it, it wasn't necessarily as clarifying. Uh, there, it, I'm sure that if I understood all those squiggly marks at the f beginning of the chapter that I might actually understood how each is useful for various proofs. But at this point I I don't kind I don't get the difference in their usage. It's actually so, kind of Oh, go ahead. Uh, I actually highlighted uh, at the very end of it right before uh, right at the end of the chapter he kind of has a sentence where he describes the difference between small step, and I'm not going to pretend to um, understand all of it, but he says small step semantics assumes a simple abstract machine that can perform small operations, therefore includes explicit detail about how to produce useful intermediate results. Whereas big step places the burden of assembling the whole computation on the machine or person executing it. So it, it's a very abstract uh, kind of description to me, but I think from a high level, it tries to narrow down the differences. Yeah, I was interesting doing a little bit of research on the side to see that you know the there are actual applications in theory where uh, big step will work or small step only small step will work. For instance, uh, infinite programs that have an infinite loop, I think. Uh, you can't use big step. Uh, you just mm. you can't use them to prove anything, and you have to uh, fall back on using the small step semantics as your method of proof. That being said, you know it still seems very abstract to me what the difference is. I'd be curious to know if like I don't know like C or assembly or like the Ruby VM or JavaScript. If if modern programming languages do they use one or the other? Like, is it kind of like an even split, or is or is one of these, like, how programs are written today? Well, it says that OCaml's core language has big step semantics. Hmm. I don't know if you'd consider OCaml, uh, like, modern, but it's in, it's in uh, contemporary use. <laughs> I, yeah, I would consider it modern, sure. Same with standard ML. Trying to find the section, I know he goes into um, detail of uh, JavaScript and Ruby and the documentation or the semantic uh, practices that they use. I think that was at the beginning, wasn't it? I believe so. I think on page 18, under meaning of meaning, uh, third paragraph down, where it's talking about Ruby being defined by the MRI, but ECMAScript and Java having specs, essentially. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting, and uh, working at a place where our code is 
deployed to uh, JRuby and, and run as JRuby, but we all uh, program as if we're developing on the MRI. Uh, it's definitely interesting to see how that plays out, that there will be bugs in JRuby that shouldn't actually be considered bugs, but hey, it's not how the MRI does it, so uh, we need to either wait for JRuby to make a fix, to make it work less logically, uh, or just use different Ruby code. You know, a little after that, he mentions, um, they kind of touch on like um, implementing a parser. I didn't actually go to that section to look at that, but um, I was just noticing how we were kind of writing, we're not really writing a language, we're writing the expressions, like intermediate representation of what a language would be. Um, so like if we had like add two numbers, we probably wouldn't write add and then give it two numbers. We'd probably write like one plus one and then let a, a parser turn that text into what we're writing right now. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> That'd be a lot more convenient. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to see the, the syntax trees that underlie what we write, but there is absolutely a reason why uh, cleaner syntax is a joy to write in. Oh, absolutely. That's why abstraction is the best. Abstract everything away till it makes sense in pure English. So w one thing that I thought was interesting, and I, I'm not sure I completely fully understand, so maybe someone could uh, shed some light on it. Um, when he is talking about statements, and he initially does his uh, do-nothing class, um, he mentions that uh, the structure of simple small-step semantics show that its expressions are pure and its statements are impure. I actually um, have that highlighted. <laughs> yeah. Could anybody elaborate on that? So... Yeah. I like that uh, that he made that distinction because my interpretation was uh, an expression just returns a result of something and doesn't actually change anything about the environment or the system, whereas a statement um, can have a side effect, like an assignment is a statement. Okay. Um, but assignment doesn't actually return anything useful. It just does something that changes the state of the system, whereas an expression, um, you could call it over and over again. It will always return the same result given the same environment. So it's basically saying, like, uh, statements are mutable. Statements, yeah. Statements are mutating something else or with the program, I guess. Amy or Brian, do you want to reward that? Or is that okay? No, I, I think I, there's nothing that I could add to it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that I have any other thoughts on the section. Yeah, I think that about sums it up for me. I'm, you know, obviously interested to see what he does with denotational semantics now. Did he make it into that yet? I didn't make it to that chapter, no. Okay. All right, so we're all on e an even playing field here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to probably... I think I'm going to re-implement this um, and before I go to the next section. Um, again, like I was saying, I don't know if I was during this or during the pre-call, but I also didn't highlight as much as I did the, the first uh, section we read. So I'm going to make sure that I... Either read it all once and then do the code examples, or do the code examples and reread re it and highlight things. Yeah, that's what I tried to do because I knew there was so much I, uh, you know, so much that was gone over, and I was focusing a lot on the code that I probably didn't uh, pay enough attention to as high level text. All right, cool. Any other thoughts? Onward and upward. 
<laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, okay, cool. If you want to see more episodes about this book or other books, uh, check out csbookclub.com slash understanding-computation, or we're on Twitter, cs underscore book club, and uh, see you next time.